This is Zach Ruskin, and welcome back to Radio Book Passage. Summer is here, and with the sun comes a staggering amount of great reads to keep you entertained between hikes, barbecues, and a few trips to the movies. People like the phrase beach reads, but there really is no wrong place to open up a book and tuck into another world. At Book Passage, we celebrate the summer months with three writing conferences, a healthy serving of events and classes, and lots of iced tea to help us stay on top of all the wonderful titles appearing on our shelves. One of the most eagerly anticipated novels of the season is La Rose by Louise Erdrich, a National Book Award winner for The Roundhouse and a Pulitzer Prize nominee for The Plague of Doves. Erdrich wields her breathtaking narrative magic in an emotionally haunting contemporary tale of a tragic accident a demand for justice, and a profound act of atonement with ancient roots in Native American culture. Before a special literary luncheon to celebrate LaRose, Erdrich sat down with Book Passages' Sam Berry to discuss her latest work. Okay, hi, Louise Erdrich. How are you doing? Well, hi, I am doing well. I'm tootling along with, with David Golia and great media escort. the great the great one the great yes. one he yeah. came out of retirement for you you know I know he came out of retirement and has a really big attitude so I'm I'm walking on <laughs> eggs here and <laughs> Dave, everybody and, and, and the thing is like everybody goes Dave you've come out of retirement you know and I'm I'm, I'm kind of Sending, I'm feeling a little bit overshadowed by yeah, Dave. Uh, well, you know? I know, but he, he's it's always okay. been that way. He's yeah. always been that way. He's always grabbing the spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Well, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, uh, first of all, this is Louise Erdrich, the great author of many novels, and poetry, and her the book Roundhouse, which um, is the first in a trilogy that this last book we're going to uh, that you're going to be talking about today, La Rose. Right is the final book in that trilogy. Is that correct? That's correct. And we were just talking about um, media escorting by Dick Lee. By David Galea. And then, explain media escorting for us, will Okay, you? so media escorting is a, is, I think it's a dying art. I think it's not happening as often. And But yeah. I get I get this wonderful uh, chance to know David and Big Lou, who is a seismologist, um, Accordion player. Yeah, we used to say Big Lou was a seismologist by day, accordion princess by night. Yes, yes. And how how wonderful that this has gone on for, we think, 30 years. I don't know. Could be. It, it would, 20 it's years. Terrific, really. And maybe, maybe, maybe just 10 years. Tell me something. Um, uh, you, you know, you're a. Um, all these years, you're, you know, writing, of course, is famously a solitary, generally solitary pursuit. Yes, somewhat. yes. Somewhat. And. Um, and then you go on the road and you do this, but you must have developed a lot of uh, funny, interesting friendships over the years going on the road and saying well, hi to people. Well, it turns out that is so. And coming here has been one of the wonderful parts of of every book tour. Book passage, yes. This, I, ha this, yeah. I have pictures with my tiny little baby. She's now 15, yeah. but she was just, what, six months. And I was holding her in my lap while signing with the other hand. So I have pictures of that. That's some so cool. somebody came and took pictures and sent them to me. It's 
it's wonderful. I know. I, I mean, know. It, I mean, it's it's. Uh, and now I'm getting. We're not supposed to be teary here. Let's let's get teary. Yeah. Let's get teary because here we are, and we ne I, there was a time when we all thought that our bookstores would not last. I have a bookstore too. Oh, we didn't oh, think yes. it would last. But I lasting. didn't say. Louise Erdrich is the owner of a Birchbark Books. Birchbark, yes. Birchbark Books, and so we we can simply be teary-eyed because we're we're still in business it's pretty cool it's very cool and in fact I think um, my experience of being in the book business publishing business mm -hmm. being a writer and all this is that the one thing I know for sure is I have no clue what's going to happen next you know I don't know where we're going for sure I don't know but I'm at this very moment very happy that people have decided they like paper again, yes. like books, and like carrying them around. I don't know, there must have been, it seems to me that maybe there was a kind of uh, sort of date at which the Kindles all broke down. <laughs> I think they I stopped know. being such a novelty. Maybe. I think a lot of young people, my daughter is 23 and she, uh, she's, the last thing she wants to do is look at her screen. She looks at mm -hmm. her screen all the time. When she wants to read a book, she wants yeah. to read a book. Yeah, mm -hmm. paper is not is is I don't know. I think books are great pieces of technology all on exactly. their own. Look, look, watch as I can look, turn what? to any section. Turn of to the book. any section, mark it with a <laughs> thumbprint, and you will always know where you where you were. What's it like being both? I mean, you're a, probably one of America's most renowned. You are one of America's most renowned authors, and. You're also the owner of a tiny or a small bookstore. Exactly. Well, you can say it's 800 square feet, so I think it qualifies. It's <laughs> tiny. tiny. It's tiny. And do you? How often do you go into the shop? And I'm in there every day or every other day, but I'm not selling books. I'm talking about books. Talking sometimes. about that's that's yeah. another way of selling books. Elaine Petrocelli right. talks about books. Talks and, about what books I'm yeah. and I um I try to remember to blog, you know, and I um I. I do events. Mm -hmm. Night Vale was a fun event. Yeah. I don't know if Night Vale's out here, but we like no. Night Vale a lot out there. Well, and so you, this experience, it sounds like, is, is fun for you. You're having fun doing this, the bookstore project. I'm oh, the bookstore is, yeah. is great. I, and, and my daughters work on it, which is the best cool. thing. It's yeah. wonderful to be able to do this with my daughters. And are uh, either of your daughters taking up the pen and starting to write themselves? Well, one daughter is in tech, which I I, I really adore that because she's she knows everything and yeah. she's she's so she's taking over um, in a tech in Minneapolis just doing all sorts of of work. And then we have an online bookstore. So that's of course a whole other business. Oh, yes. But the my other daughter and one one of my daughters is 15. So yes. Then there's another daughter who is an Ojibwe immersion kindergarten teacher on the Lakuturé reservation. And then another daughter who is designing the book covers now. She's a, an artist and who designed that very book cover, which you are Your holding. Your daughter designed in. this book cover? Yes. And the interesting thing about that book cover is that it is my grandfather's U.S. government Indian boarding school handwriting taught at great uh, yeah. pains, you, you know, really watching it's the Palmer method. In back fact, when handwriting was yeah, a big deal, it was yeah. an art, and he wrote so many letters. We have stacks of letters, and my daughter 
copied that very carefully, digitized it, and made it the book cover. Tell your daughter, this is, a, I mean, the first thing when I, you know, again, books in print are right. tactile. Right, so what did you think when and you I took it? And I picked it up, I loved it. And did you? Yeah, and the cover, okay. and by the way, they also did a good job with it, sort of, uh, I don't know what this is called, but it's the when you touch it. The kind yeah. of the way, yeah, the touchability. Yeah, matte kind of feeling yeah. that, you know. It's got good paper, Yeah. good paper. Well, it you're doesn't with, you're rip. with a class act there, and, yeah. and, and, yeah, and they your did daughter a good is job. a class act. Well, that's great. Oh, tell her. How's your writing partner doing? My oh, my dog. <laughs> yes, tell me. T my my dog is doing very well. Tell my me. dog, my tater tot yes, dog. Yes, tell me about your dog. Well, I have like a little tater tot looking dog who um, sits in the corner and edits uh, my writing. Okay, I don't good. really. And then if you look online, if you look into our. Birchbark Books blog, you'll see that our dogs mainly make our selections, and they each have a book that they've selected for the month. Well, they, they must be some very sharp dogs. And what kind of dogs are they again? Did you, well, we can they're see them every along. kind of dog you can, they're, they have... The best kind of dogs. Well, what they are is like, we have world dogs. We, our dogs are all the dogs of the world mixed up into various little... Excellent. Yeah. I mean, that's shaken up. It's like they're cocktail shaker dogs, you know. Yeah, those kind of dogs are always happy, healthy... Yeah. No big attitude. They don't have an attitude like David Galea has an attitude. Yeah. To, to bring well, this all around to he, David Well, Galea. you know, he, he's... <laughs> well, David, he's got the honor, the pressure of having to keep the honor for for um, his tribe. Of, his tribe, yes, yeah, indeed. So, and, yeah. and, and, well, it's wonderful to have you here at Book Passage. I want to get you over to have some lunch over there. And that wouldn't let be you, bad. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad unless you talk to the... Uh, uh, the big crowd is waiting for you right it's now. It's such a delight. Thank you. So great to Thank see you. Thank you. We're so happy to have you here. Thank you. Hey listeners, magic is in the air. That's right, everyone's favorite boy who lived is returning in a brand new eighth story in the Harry Potter saga. To celebrate the release of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, we're hosting a trivia night on July 30th. We'll have Bernie Bots every Flavor Beans, Book Passage gift certificates for our winning teams, and at midnight, we'll pull out our wands and make the newest Harry Potter story apparate onto our shelves. To pre-order a copy of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child or register for our trivia evening, send your owls to bookpassage.com slash Hogwarts. Mischief managed. Now join Louise Erdrich as she shares the story behind the rose at her literary luncheon event at Book Passage. I really recommend the scarves here. I just very nice. You know, I travel. I'm, I'm on a book tour, so I uh, I thought this time I'm going to go with. 
two scarves and one outfit. And then I put this in but at the last minute. But I, I, I'm really bored with my <laughs> scarves. So, you know, you get like, I can't take this anymore. So I, got, I, I walked in hoping there'd be a scarf. And then I found this one. And it's so perfect. And it makes me want to, you know, I love coming here. I look forward to it. Oh, it's, it's on the schedule. Okay, this is going to be a good day. <laughs> and it is a good, just a good day. And so many of you to show up here. How wonderful. Wonderful food. Thank you to, who is the caterer who did this? Ensalada Restaurant. Ensalada Restaurant. Thank you for a delightful lunch. Thank you. So good. And um, I hope everybody can hear me all right in the back. And I was going to, you know, I thought, what am I going to read? Um, I, so I, along the way here, I've read some pieces where I was that told, you know, I should, you should really give a trigger warning before you read that part. So I'm not going to read that part. <laughs> and then there's some that are, oh, um, you know, just a little bit dark. But I think I'm going to read one of my favorite parts because you mentioned the teenagers. And every time I brought Snow and Chosette up, they took over the book and I fell in love with them. And in this piece I'm going to read, it's, it, it's a little bit about something that I had an obsession with as a young girl and that's drugstore perfume. <laughs> the Iron Girls, Snow Josette, the Iron Maidens. They were junior high volleyball queens, sister BFFs, heart soul confidants to each other and advice givers to their brothers. They were tight with their mom, loose with their dad. With their grandma they got bead happy and could sew for hours. Snow was going to be the tall, intense one who had trouble concentrating on her schoolwork and whom boys only liked as a friend. She was in eighth grade. Josette was going to be the smart one who despaired about her weight but magnetized clumsy desire among boys whom she only liked as friends. She was in grade seven. Their father, Landro, dropped his daughters in hoop dance to shop and drove back to take his client to dialysis. The girls went straight to one drugstore, the one drugstore. They walked in with a puff of snowy cold. A store clerk with flat dyed red hair and glasses on a chain asked if she could help them. No thanks, said Josette, and you don't need to follow us around either. We have money and we're not gonna steal. <laughs> The woman pulled her chin down into her neck and kept this odd posture as she turned away and walked to the cash register. You didn't have to say that, said Snow. Maybe I'm too defensive, said Josette, fake meek. Attached to the drugstore was a gift shop full of decorative flowers and knickknacks, which their mother didn't like, but they did. They went through and admired all the ceramic snow babies, the glitter fronds, the stones cut with words, Dream, love, live. <laughs> Why not throw, said Josette. How come they don't have one that just says throw? <laughs> 
You don't get inspiration, do you? Said Snow. That's not inspiration, that's mawkish. Ooh, Snow licked her finger and made a mark in the air. Vocab word. They went back to the other section. There was a small, small selection of windshield scrapers and emergency flashlights, maybe for their dad. Better things at the hardware store, said Josette. Let's test perfumes for mom. No, lotion. You get that, I'll get the perfume. All the good perfumes were locked up under the glass counter with the late eyeglass lady's hands resting on it. Shit, now we'll have to deal with her, said Josette. <laughs> I'm the good one, said Snow. I'll do the talking. Josette rolled her eyes and made an oops face. Snow walked up to the clerk and smiled. How are you today? Snow used a bright inflection. We're looking for a really nice Christmas present for our mother. Our mom is so special, Snow sighed. She works so hard. What do you suggest? The woman's stabbing glare bounced off Josette, who was bent over the glass, scanning. The woman's hand hovered among the jewel-bright boxes, spray bottles, and plucked up a tester of Gina Tay. Too white bread, said Josette. <laughs> Snow pointed at Jovan Musk. Well, see, this is the year 1999, I should say. And I should also say that there's something going on here because in this book, in the very beginning, there's this great tragedy. Their father accidentally shoots the, the, the son of his very best friend. And their family, in an act of very old traditional justice, because this is on a reservation and they're very traditional people, they give their son to the family who lost their son. And after this, maybe we can talk a bit about it because it's a cultural practice that actually transcends all cultures, um, or runs through all cultures. I've heard many people who've, de who've described incidents like this. but. They're, uh, right now they're in this sort of process of trying to figure out how this is going to even work. Will they have their brother back sometimes? Will they see him? So far they haven't seen him, you know? So they don't really know what's happening, but they want to get something for their mother that will make her feel good, feel happy. And Christmas, of course, is such a fraught time for them right now. <coughs> Jovan Musk. That doesn't smell like mom. She's more, I don't know, clear. Maybe Charlie. Or blue jeans? Oh, so casual, though. They meditated, frowning on the array. I want to get something special. I have my job money, said Snow to the counter lady. Maybe something from a designer or a movie star. The woman displayed a box. White Diamonds, Elizabeth Taylor. America's number one fragrance, said the woman, reverent. Who's Elizabeth Taylor? <laughs> Asked Josette. Dog, Cleopatra. They both pondered the cover of the VHS of the video rental. Plus, friends with Michael Jackson? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Josette sniffed the spray bottle. Fancy, I like this. Anjali in a hot pink box, decorated with an embossed golden flower. Mm, but mom's not this spicy. I mean, she smells good. It would clash with dad's old spice. So would the wild musk. 
maybe windsong. Grandma wears that. The woman behind the counter brought out an elegant box hiding among the others. It was a lavendery pinkish box, one of those expensive indeterminate colors, a blackish gray band. The bottle fit firmly in hand, a band of embossed diamond shapes neatly swirled glass eau sauvage. The woman sprayed a little on a Kleenex and waved the tissue in front of their noses and waited. Hmm. The smell was green and dry, faintly licorice, maybe a hint of cloud, a trace of fresh cut wood, crushed grass, a rare herb in a rare forest. Nothing dark, nothing hungry, but something else too. Most people think this one smells too plain, the lady said. It's not like any other perfume. Nobody buys it. We only have just this one bottle. Snow watched Josette, her eyes wide. Josette breathed the scent in again. Oh, I wish things could be that way, said Snow. So pure, said Josette, putting down the bottle. Must be pricey. It's a bit expensive, yes, said the woman. Now she seemed embarrassed by the amount. I just work here. It's not my store, she said. Yeah, said Snow, it's kind of too much. I was saving, but, well, it can be for a man or woman, said the woman. Ew, savage. Oh, sauvage, said Josette, <laughs> with an exaggerated French accent. We gotta have it. She turned to Snow, eyes sparking. Smell. This is it, said Snow. Josette had an old lady-type money pouch hidden deep in her purse, and she took it out. Snow hugged her passionately. Then, right there in front of the counter woman, they began to cry, because they both knew the trace was there. The cologne also smelled like their little brother, La Rose's clean hair, on a cold autumn day when he came in and Emmeline would bend over him. Ooh, you smell good, she used to say. You smell like outside. <sighs> Leaving the drugstore, Josette and Snow talked about the outside smell and decided that they were psychic with each other, like in a witch coven or coven. Or maybe our people had these powers before the white man came. Yes, it's Snow, and we live 500 years. I actually heard someone say that. Me too. And we could change the weather. Oh, I believe that one. Well, great, said Snow. Let's do it now. Oh, I should have been named Summer, said Josette. All you can do is make it snow. <laughs> it was blustery. They were walking toward the place they would meet their father. He had agreed to pick them up after he got his clients settled back home. And they were going to sit in the subway, maybe split a 12-inch turkey with American cheese on whole wheat for their complexion with lettuce, tomatoes, pickles, and sweet onion sauce dressing. For sure they would. They were hungrier than usual and had enough money left for the turkey sub if they just drank water. It's better for us, said Josette, who loved Sprite. Oh, they showed us in health class, said Snow mournfully. Just a can of pop a day and you get diabetes. Landrew never bought soda because he didn't want his kids to lose their feet. And when he put it like that, they'd squint as if in pain. Yeah, Dad. They drank forbidden pop at Whitey's, and now, waiting for their father, they stared down at their sub-sandwich wrappers and looked amazed. 
I ate that so fast. How'd that happen? Josette burped. Gross. Now what? We're broke, so we sip our healthful waters and wait for Dad. They met each other's eyes. After it happened, nobody at school had been very mean. Everybody in their school had something awful happen someplace in their family. Everybody just got sad for everybody, usually, or said tough shit, or if you were a girl, maybe gave you a card. There were no cards for what had happened. But one of her girlfriends had beaded snow a pair of earrings, and she knew it was to say what there were no words to say. There were no words to say to their father, either. At least no words they wanted to say. In the car, maybe they'd be silent. Maybe they'd ask about one of his clients. Maybe they'd say something general about schoolwork. They'd avoid true feelings because it could go real deep, real sudden with their father. And he could get into that seriously real mode like when he did at the ceremony, like you let your thoughts and feelings buried inside you come out into the circle so other people could pray and sing to help you. But the girls agreed. They weren't into having that kind of energy leak out of their dad when things were going on like normal. So when he drove up in the Corolla, they, I spoke. Josette would ride shotgun because she was good at keeping him on topics like haircuts, car batteries, winterizing the windows of the house with saran wrap. And if it seemed like he might veer south, she could always ask him to tell her again what was wrong with drinking pop. So that's Snow and Josette. And, and then just a little bit about Christmas. I'm, it's not Christmas, but you know, this is about them. So Nola is the mother, the bereaved mother of, of, um, of, of Dusty, and she just can't let go of LaRose, just can't let go of him. The parents didn't want it, but Christmas came for both families. Nola woke a week before the 25th, picturing her heart as a lump of lead, and it lay so heavy in her chest that she could feel it feebly thumping, reasonlessly going when she wasn't interested in its efforts. But Christmas. She turned over in bed and nudged Peter. She resented that he could sleep at all. A tree, she said. Today's the day. We have to decorate a Christmas tree. Peter opened his eyes, his bright, dear blue eyes that never would belong to another child. The boy had come out true to both of them, the best of each of their features, mixed they had marveled. The framed photographs were still arranged across the top of the dresser. Dusty still ran in sun, posed as Spider-Man, played in a wading pool. Noah found comfort in the pictures, but closed her eyes now so she would not see the likeness in her husband. To distract herself, she started humming. Nola's gentle humming was encouraging to Peter. It was a thing she used to do. He reached out and stroked her fingers. Maybe? I can't, she said. Still, he kept asking, either outright or with a touch. I'll take the kids out. He had a chainsaw. He had three chainsaws. They were all big brute chainsaws, overqualified for cutting Christmas trees. All he needed was a handsaw. In fact, he said, sitting up in the chili room, the handsaw with the red handle. 
will each take turns sawing down the perfect tree. He pictured it, and he was surprised that it was even possible, but it was possible for him to get out of bed and do this thing that he'd done last year with the boy who had worn Maggie's hot pink Disney princess parka because his parka was in the wash. Maggie had mocked him, calling him her little sister, but Dusty had struck a Gaston pose and made Maggie laugh, and she, she used to have a laugh like little bells. It had changed, Peter thought. Her laugh had become a jeer, a bark, a series of angry shouts, an outburst. She laughed now when things were sad, not funny. So, I'm just going to write this one little last piece, which is about going back over to the other household and how they're having their Christmas that they're starting out on. So, um, in the boys' bedroom, Hollis plugged in his, oh, so by the end of the two days, the iron house, two small trees were set up in the corner of the living room, each decorated by a sister. For the first time, Emmeline didn't make the slightest effort. The sisters were competitive. They made ornaments from sequins, ribbons, powwow regalia bling, and La Rosa's Play-Doh. They never wrapped presents in wrapping paper. They used magazines and colored newspaper and shopping bags. But at some point, everything stopped and the girls started crying. Coochie rolled his eyes and glared, then stalked out. Hollis made a strategic exit to the boys' room, and Landro went to work early, and Emmeline was left stirring a pot of stew because of La Rose. This exact thing happened every week or so since Landro and Emmeline had explained to the children why they had done this, what they had done with La Rose. In the boys' bedroom, Hollis plugged in his blow-up mattress and turned the dial to inflate. For a minute or two, the high-pitched whine blocked out their voices. When the mattress was plump and comfortable, he lay back and closed his eyes. Nothing. There was silence. So, but, but then they started up again and he could hear them. So will you give me away if you kill somebody, Mom? That was Josette shouting. Snow stepped forward and slapped Josette, who slapped her back. Emmeline dropped the spoon and slapped them both. <laughs> she had never, never slapped her child or any child before that moment. And it happened so quickly, like a scene choreographed by the Three Stooges, which was what saved it. Emmeline started crying. Josette started crying. Then Snow, the three of them clung together, crying. I want to cut off my hand, wept Emmeline. I never slapped you girls before. We should each cut our hands off, wailed Snow. Then making fry bread, two of us will have to stand together, you know, <laughs> like each use our remaining hand. Pat, Pat, Josette and Snow demonstrated. Oh, Pat, Pat, how pitiful, cry laughed Emmeline. <laughs> so this is... This is their family and two families. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Radio Book Passage. This program is produced by Elaine Petricelli, Bill Petricelli, and Zach Ruskin. Additional support from Sam Barry, 
Our thanks to Louise Erdrich. Visit her online at facebook.com slash author. To purchase LaRose, visit bookpassage.com. Join us next time when we speak with former Secret Service agent Clint Hill and journalist Lisa McCubbin, authors of Five Presidents. As the great Neil Gaiman once said, a book is a dream that you hold in your hand. Thank you.